Good morning. This is exciting today. It's phenomenal to see all the families in here. And just so you families know, um, I lengthened my sermon just for you today. And um, so we understand sometimes children crying and being restless makes moms and dads nervous. Relax, okay? We'll deal with it, truly. Please, we want this service to be an honor to God and to our families today. So we're in the middle of a series um, on the family and a biblical view of the family. By the way, my name is Tony Slave, and I'm the pastor here if you're visiting. And today we're talking about the blessing and responsibility of our children. Now, I want to remind you of the three previous sermons because it's very tied together. This is, though it's each week is a difficult, different topic, they come together um, in, in a, a woven together to a, an important concept of the biblical view of the family. We've seen marriage now for three weeks. We saw in chapter one of Genesis how God made every human being in his image, male and female, he created them to be like him, to represent him on earth, and to have children multiply and fill the earth. So that, that was the foundation, and also that God established marriage where he brought a man and a woman and caused the two to become one, and that they became one to accomplish his will as his vice regents on earth. And part of that was filling the earth, multiplying and filling it. We also saw how because sin entered in, because there was harmony in marriage prior to sin, at the end of chapter 2, it said they were both naked and they were not ashamed. But chapter 3 comes in and the devil comes in. And he brings a temptation. Eve is deceived that she sins. Adam sins, high, it's called high-handed. He just sins because he wants to, evidently. And we, de we define sin then as selfishness, this idea of not your will, but my will be done. That's what sin is. So a consequence for sin, Genesis 3.16 is this harmony in marriage is broken. Now there's a struggle for who leads. And, and the idea of Eve wanting to control her husband, but yet the husband would rule over the wife, and both of them were selfishness, we talked about. We also looked at Ephesians chapter 5, where God brought the corrective there uh, to, to that selfishness. Wives, submit to your husbands as they lovingly lead you. So that's the last three weeks. In this vein, though, that we have is that husbands and wives are supposed to, supposed to produce children, and the goal here is to raise godly children. We saw that in Malachi chapter 2, two weeks ago. That there God rebukes men for being unfaithful to their wives. And, and the result, he said, you were supposed to come together and keep your vows so you produce godly offspring. Today we're going to talk about that, how we produce these godly offspring. So my assumption is, I, this isn't an assumption, this is a fact. Everyone in this room was a child to some parent of some time. Agree? Any, any virgin person here? Okay. I, I, I shouldn't ask like, questions like that. Someone's going to raise their hand someday. And then we've got to deal with that. But, um, and a good percentage of you in this room have children. Many of them already raised and out of the home. How many grandparents in the room? Cool, cool. But keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look around, everybody. The amount of grandchildren, grandparents in this room. Teresa and I just got back. Go ahead and put your hands down. Just got back from Colorado where our 10th grandchild was born. And we have a, she was a granddaughter. She's out of the 10, three are daughters, seven are boys. So um, phenomenal opportunity to see this little baby at the hospital hours old. 
There's this optimism and joy when children are born. And this, this, this hope for a good future with your child, raising your child. And, and you should always have that optimism. But those of you who have older children, is it sometimes hard? Okay, that sounds like it was an understatement. My oldest son was born in 1980. And I'm a product of the 70s, you know. I had long hair when he was born, down to here. I, I figured that was how you should look as a man in the 70s. It was how you looked as a man in the 70s, and I was a-okay with it. Um, rock and roll music hit its apex and was never to be succeeded after that. <laughs> Bell-bottom pants. So, so how I looked, how I dressed, my hair, the music I listened to, to me was the, the height of culture. My dad hated it all. But I figured my kids would love it. So when my son is a teenager, so fast forward to 1994, now all of a sudden, he doesn't like rock and roll, he likes rap music. What do you think of rap music, grandparents? He shaves his head, like I do now, and I told him, this is your future. Why are you doing this? <laughs> one time he came home. He, he grew it out about that far. Then one time he came home, and him and his buddy, buddies had done this. They put handprints on their head, and they shaved around the handprints. <laughs> so he's 14, 15 years old, comes home with a handprint on his head of hair. <laughs> and the, the worst thing, I, I could deal with that. The worst thing was, this is, this is in the early days of baggy pants. Okay, now, the, now they make baggy pants that actually fit around the waist. Then they didn't. So here's this 14-year-old kid, five foot two, 110 pounds soaking wet, and he has 44-inch waist pants on. <laughs> and he, he has to walk like this <laughs> to keep him from falling off. So I came to a conclusion. I hated his clothes. I hated his haircut, and I hated his music. I became my father. <laughs> and that, that son is now 41, and he is amazing. So there's roller coasters on child raising. Would you agree with me? Even if you've been a parent for a short time, you know that. What I want to talk about today is three things. The blessing of children then the responsibility we have as parents to raise these children for the Lord, to disciple them. And then I want to talk about what the outcome looks like. What does it look like when we've done that to the end game? Let's talk about the blessing of our children. Listen to Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Behold, and by the way, this is a famous verse. We know this. But think about it, how God views you and your children. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Grandparents, remember that. We're going to come back to that. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver, quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed. And when they speak with their enemies in the gate, they will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So first principle here, 
is your children are a gift from God and they are a reward from God. Reward for what? Think of the concept that God is gifting you and even rewarding you. So, so is that how we see our kids? There are certain times, there are certain times that, because children are a great example of what love means. Because love is deeper than a feeling as we talked about in marriage. Love is this commitment to give your life to somebody. And parents, sometimes, do you feel like giving your life to your kids? Or do you feel like taking your kids' lives? They are a gift and they are a reward. Now let's look how God's, God's role in giving you your child. This is important. Another verse we all know well, but about how God created your child, ladies, in your womb. Listen to this. This is David talking. And Psalm, by the way, Psalm 139 deserves to be read today. Go home and read Psalm 139 today. It's a beautiful picture of David's relationship with God. But he talks about his, when he was formed in the womb. I don't think he's just talking about himself. He's talking about all humans here. So, for you, talking to God, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Let's stop for a moment. Obviously, God formed Adam from the dust of the earth. Genesis 2. Then he took from Adam's side a rib and formed Eve. So we tend to think the first humans were formed by God. The rest were just biologically by nature takes over. And there's truth to that. God has designed our bodies to produce children, not ours, you ladies, to produce. I know the whole world's changing now, but that's still a fact. Um, sorry. Um, to these babies were formed in your womb and you're biologically designed to do that. But according to this, God is still actively involved in it. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. If you know the Lord, moms in the room, Knowing the Lord, and as your child grows, grows now, or grow, growed, has grow a word? Grew, thank you. I like growed. Isn't there this wonder in you that you realize a human being is growing inside of you from the smallest molecules to our granddaughter, six pounds, eight ounces? ready to face the world. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Ladies, does your soul know it very well what God did in your children going inside of you? It's an amazing thing. So here, here's the beauty. They are a blessing from God. They are a gift. They are a reward. And God was intricately involved in your child from conception forward. Very important, I don't want to get political, but very important as we think about the value of a life in the womb. Very important. So you meditate on that passage and think about that. Children's are example of faith. Children are, are I got my grammar right, children are the examples of faith. You see, adults can be short-sighted and even dismissive to children in their faith. Oh, that's childish. That's simplistic. Adults are more sophisticated, amen? Oh, I'm so glad you didn't agree with me. 
Let's look at Jesus' perspective on children. Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which is, you know, I've been following him for two and a half years now, they're thinking. I am, and I think I'm better than these other apostles. So we'll go ahead and ask Jesus which one of us is better. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn, we'll come back to that word, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So entering the kingdom of heaven is directional. You're going this, here's the kingdom of heaven, you're going this way. But Jesus is suggesting, unless you turn. So you apostles, you think you're going the right way. But you're not. Unless you become like a child. And here's what it means to turn. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be dropped into the depth of the sea. Fathom that for a moment. The value Christ puts on children. And if we cause one of these children to sin... better that you drowned than do that. That's stark. But it tells us what Jesus thinks of children. It should give us great pause. The disciples seem to miss this point because the very next chapter, look, listen to this, verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. Jesus hasn't got time for these little rugrats. Sorry, kids. Get him away, get him away. This is for adults. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gave us our children as examples of what it means to trust him. I, I mean, uh, with our grandchildren this week, our son Grant and his wife Alyssa gave birth to Emerald Jean, beautiful name. But they also have a two-year-old named Alexander. They call him Xander. And Xander is a typical boy. He doesn't know what rest means. He doesn't know what sit still means. He never, he's perpetual motion. And so I picked him up and I held him like he was Superman. And I am flying him through the house like this, you know. And he is just thrilled. I put him down and he goes again. And I do it till I can hardly pick him up. He, now, if I came to you and said, hey, Michael, can I pick you up and fly you like Superman? No, Michael, you're supposed to say, what, are you crazy? <laughs> See, I, I haven't got the ability to do that to Michael. He doesn't trust me. But a two-year-old utterly trusts me to do something which hindsight is kind of stupid. If I'd have dropped him, oh, Elissa would have come after me, I'm sure. The point is, the faith of a child is an example for us. That's what our children are. Let's look now at the responsibility that comes with this great blessing. I want to read to you Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. So parents who are having their children dedicated today, we went over this in the email, or not the email, the Zoom meeting we had. And, and so I want to repeat some things I said there. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Listen to this first. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why don't you say that with me? Everyone read that. Let's do it now. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Lord, 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 Lord. That was added. That's called the Shema. In Hebrew, the first word here is Shema. This is what a faithful Jew would say every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the New Testament, we also have a, a very important slogan, not a, a slogan's the wrong word, mantra, if that's the right word, I don't know what the right word is. Jesus is Lord. So here, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh our God is one. The New Testament expands, and who is Yahweh? Jesus is Yahweh. That's our thing we say every day. Nonetheless, he tells the Israelites, you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus repeats this in the New Testament as the greatest commandment. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Stop there, think about that. What does that mean, on your heart? These words I command you today shall be on your heart. The New Living Translation says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So before you teach them to the diligently to your children, what are you supposed to do with them? Wholeheartedly believe in them and follow them. Why? Because Yahweh is your God. And Yahweh is one. There is no other God. Now we teach that to our children. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Teach them diligently. The NIV says, impress them on your children. Other translation, engrave them into your children. Drill them into them. Repeat them again and again. Different translations for the same concept. This is the idea of Scripture being so prevalent in your home that your children learn Scripture simply by the fact that it's talked about constantly in your home. And not, it's not just about Scripture. It's about the God who wrote Scripture. God has revealed himself to us in his word. And we take our children through this. This is the process of what's called discipleship. It says there, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. In other words, in all of life, there's times of planned Bible studies, planned family worship. I, I wonder if, if how good we are as families that we do family worship at home. And I would suggest to you, as the pastor of this church, I'm not sure we've done a good job to help you do that, which is tragedy. There's times where you're just with your children out in life and you see the opportunity when you're walking along, we see the opportunity. Hey, let's talk about this. I remember... I remember when we were watching a movie. This, I, I hate spiders. Any spider haters in here? A good spider is, only good spider is a? Thank you. My daughter, though, would get a spider in her bedroom. She'd scream, come get it, come get it, and take it outside, don't kill it. 
said, do that yourself. If I'm coming in, I'm killing it. Um, sorry. But we were watching this movie. This is 25 years ago, Arachnophobia. I, I hate spiders, but I love that movie. It opens up with this line. You see this camera descending into a cavern. This camera descending into a cavern. And it's just this jungle. And the narrator says, a new species of spider has been found that hasn't changed in 25 million years. Think about that, parents. What's wrong with that statement? A new species of spider has been found that hasn't changed in 25 million years. What's wrong with it? If it's a new species, how do they know it hasn't changed in 25 million years? So I remember, this is, this is VCR days, pausing the movie. Say, did you guys hear that? What's wrong, what's wrong with that statement? And you know, my eight-year-old son says, Dad, would you just let us watch a movie? <laughs> to me, I always look for opportunities to talk about worldview. That's what discipleship is, by the way. Matthew talked about the school in Carson City. It's discipling our children in a Christian biblical worldview. And we must do it. A very important question I want to ask you. The question is not, are you discipling your children? Let me define discipleship. To be a disciple is to follow somebody. A disciple follows a teacher. So we are called to follow Jesus. Jesus told us to go into the world and what? Make converts? Make disciples of all nations. In other words, go into the world, tell them about Jesus, and, 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 and convince them, compel them, whatever the word is, to follow Jesus as their leader, as their Lord, as their teacher, as their Savior. That's a disciple, who you follow. So I want to tell you something. Not are you discipling your children, you are. Everyone is. The question is, to what or whom are you discipling them? Where are you leading them? Very important. Those of us whose children are grown, I'll take a risk here. I'm raising my hand because I agree with what I'm gonna say. I wish I could do it over. Parents, didn't do it all wrong, but a lot I said, oh, I wish I'd have done it differently. I wish I had a different understanding, a different, different biblical understanding. Folks, the world is waiting. By the world, I mean that which is opposed to God. The system that is opposed to God. It is never sleeps. It is active and waiting to disciple your children. And it's doing it to a certain degree through our television, through our video games. Parents must take the responsibility to say, it's my responsibility to disciple my child. And however, however you approach education and all that is entirely between you and the Lord. This church is not going to tell you good, bad, or indifferent. You want my opinion? I have a lot of them. And some of them are probably right. Um, but here's what I'm going to say to you. You're still the primary person held accountable by God for the education of your children. 
whether you homeschool, private school, or public school, is not really the question so much as are you deeply involved in the whole process? Are you debriefing them when they come home? Whether it, if it's homeschool, I'm assuming you know what you taught. But if you're public school or private school, are you debriefing them when you come home? Say, what did you learn today? Let's talk about it. Because I guarantee you there's errors being taught to your children by well-meaning people and by some not-so-well-meaning people. And, and we know all the social issues today. I'm not going to open that door now today. But, but questions of their identity. Who are they? The Bible speaks to this clear as a bell. And parents, we must teach our children. You with me? Let me read to you Psalm 78. Because Israel didn't do such a good job. Listen to God talk to Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord. The glorious deeds of Yahweh and his might. And the wonders he has done. So parents, what's, what is the, one of the primary things you tell your children about? I just read it to you. The wonderful deeds of God and what he has done in the world and in your life. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should be set, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Um, there's a pastor in Southern California named Rick Warren. He has this thing called vision leaks. So vision is like you have this bucket and you have put a vision in it of how great God is. You put that in the bucket, but the bucket leaks. So he says, he tells his church every 29 days, I don't know why 29 days, every 29 days he reminds them of why the church exists. We leak, do we not? If we're not told regularly, we're going to forget. We're going to forget. I lost my place. That they should not... That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. When we don't pass on who God is and what he has done for us to our children and to their children and to their children, a generation forgets. And this happens quick, you guys, very quick. Joe, I need your help. This is spontaneous. Forgive me, everybody. I want those three chairs on stage. Can we do that real quick? Give me the three chairs. They're going, oh, what is he doing now? <clears throat> this is a sermon done by a guy named Dave Wilkerson years and years ago. I should have planned this out better. I'm sorry. So I want you to think of this. So normally we move from right to left, right? Correct? This is King David. King David, how is King David described? A, God after, a man after? He had a passion for God. Even though he blew it bad, David never committed a certain sin. He never once committed idolatry. He did some terrible things, but he never stopped worshiping the one God. 
David believed in Yahweh. David's son grew up in his home, Solomon, supposed to be the wisest man in the world. And, um, but as Solomon got older, what did he do wrong? He disobeyed God. He married a whole bunch of people from outside of Israel. So, by the way, understand this. Interracial marriages are not forbidden, ever. Interracial marriages are not forbidden. God said, don't marry someone who doesn't believe in me. Race isn't the issue, faith is the issue. Solomon started marrying ladies of different religions and they pulled his heart away. And by the end of his life, he's no longer walking with God. His son, Rehoboam, is an outright unbeliever and leads Israel into idolatry. So in three generations, from a man after God's own heart to a lukewarm man to an apostate, that's what will happen to our children and our grandchildren if we don't take this serious. Today is not just a ceremony to dedicate some children. It is... Um, is the life and heart of the Christian faith if we don't do this. Whole countries that used to follow Jesus no longer do it because parents did not pass it on. All right, so an assumption, the church will disciple my child. The church will disciple my child. I know no one's gonna raise their hand and say, yeah, I believe that. Let me give you a quick illustration. Today, Probably, and I would say at best here in Incline Village, you attend church 30 out of 52 weeks on the average. The average family in this church attends church 30 out of 52 times. It used to be 40. I would say it's gone down. You can argue with me later. So I was at a children's ministry conference once. And what was the gentleman's name from Orange? Just, I just forgot. You were, we were talking about bringing him here. Never mind, we both forgot. Hmm? Yeah, Doug Fields, Doug Fields. And um, he, was, he was conference, and he had this little handheld grocery cart in his hand. And you know what I'm talking about when you walk in the store and you grab the little handheld one? He had 40 styrofoam balls in there. I'd say reduce it to 30. And he said, this basket represents how many hours the church has with your child a year. If you come to church 30 times a year, that's how many hours we have with your child to tell them about Jesus. Then from the sides of the stage come in several full grocery carts filled with styrofoam balls. And he said, that's how many hours you have with your children every year. So whose job is it to disciple your children? Not the church's. The church is a supplement to what you do at home. But if minimal is happening at home, what we do at church is probably fairly meaningless in the long run. That's what we'll produce if parents don't take this serious. The goal of our instruction, then we'll do a dedication here. A lot of Old Testament today, because Old Testament focuses a lot on children. But listen to this, what it says here in Deuteronomy 10, 12, but this applies to everyone in this room. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And now, Christian, what does the Lord God require of you? But to fear Yahweh, your God, to walk in all his ways, 
to love him and to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Four verbs. What does the Lord require of you? To fear him. And fear isn't this idea of cowering before him. It's this deep, deep, inwardly awe of God. Of, of just, even to the point of trembling with how great he is. Not a cowering, he's going to slap me in the next week. But to realize you are in the presence of glory. To walk in all his ways, not the ones I want to, not the ones I choose, ones that are convenient to me today. To love him. See, fear and love go together. To serve Yahweh your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Listen to Hosea 4. Hear the word of Yahweh, O children of Israel. The Lord, for the Lord had a cause of controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. That's the end goal. That we as individuals, as parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, that we have a faithfulness for God. We have a steadfast love for God and that we are growing in knowledge of God. All those things went away in Israel. So here's, I'm going to probably upset some of you. It's not my goal, um, but you pay me to do this. Have we, I'll ask the question, not, not accuse. Have we made this morning's service, gathering together as the body of Christ, secondary to so many other things in our lives? And, and I realize I'm paid to be here, so, so I don't want to be hypocritical. Um, but how often, when there's a 12 inches of new powder, Eh, I'll go to church next week. Some of you, I won't say who they are, but Joe's sitting right there. <laughs> Joe comes to church in his ski pants because he comes here to be part of the people of God before he hits the mountain. Thank you, Joe. Anything wrong with skiing, Joe? That's not. People of God are more important. How about you boaters? This morning, the lake wasn't glass, but it was good. And the wind comes up about one. I got to get my hours in. Our children in sports. When I was a kid, there was nothing on Sunday. Nothing. Today, every Sunday, you can be taken up with some activity for your child. Here's what I'm asking you. not to, I love sports. I love them. Ask yourself the question, am I teaching my child unknowingly that their interests or my desire for them is greater than the people of God? So by the way, coming to church, even though, even though we're not the primary disciplers, we supplement you, it's greater, it's, growing in the Lord is one reason we come together. Actually, it is the reason we come together Sunday morning, but it's, it's greater than simply what you're taught. It is this idea of I belong to a people. And when we communicate to our children, the people of God are secondary or third because events like this are more important. When they grow up, here's what I want to suggest to you that's highly likely to happen. This may be you, but you're raising this, and they will raise this. Please understand that. So this isn't me guilt trip. This is me getting you to think. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk you through Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is the gospel. This is what you're committing to raise your child to do. But as I walk you through this, I want you to understand that um, every person in this room, this applies to you. 
in a few minutes, we, we don't normally do altar calls in this church. We ask you to come forward. But in a few minutes, we're going to do that. As these families are up here committing themselves to raise their children, I want to give you the rest of the opportunity to say, either I'm going to come to Christ for the first time in my life, whether you're a child today, a middle schooler, or a high schooler, a college student, an adult, opportunity to come to Jesus today, or to recommit your life to what we've talked about today. I've gotten off path. I'm going to recommit my life to Christ. So this is the last passage we're going through, I promise. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Look up on the screen. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not your own doing is a gift of God. So grace is the concept and the power of God that comes upon you that brings to you something you don't deserve. Grace is giving you something that you didn't earn. And it's a power. It's an, able, it's an enabling ability. So, so those of you who have come to faith in Jesus, at some point you, you, your eyes were opened up. It is true. Jesus is real. That's grace. God's grace working on you. If that's today happening to you, that the Spirit of God is saying to you, yes, it's time. It's time to come to faith in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is the idea of trusting in Jesus. It's not just an idea of acknowledging he exists. It says, yes, he is who he said he is. He is the son of God. He is my creator. And I'm going to completely trust in him to save me because I can't save myself. I, I have nothing that God is looking for. Christ has everything. Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I'm believing in you. I'm putting my faith in you to save me. It is a gift of God. Verse 9. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. The idea of I'm going to work my way to heaven. We can do this with coming to church. Remember we used to give out Sunday school rewards for those who never missed a week in Sunday school? Did anybody ever get one of those? We got one over there? Mike, did you raise your hand? You got one? So that gets you into heaven? Was going to Sunday school every week a good thing? Thank you. But it's the grace of God in his life. He didn't earn anything. We don't get to say, I did it. He owes me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of work. So no one gets to say, I did it. We all get to say, Jesus did it. And that, that is the, the place we come to in humility to say, I can't do it myself. Save me, Lord Jesus. At that moment... He opens your heart to believe. He changes your heart and starts to work in you to become a new person. And look what verse 10 says about who you are as this new person. And this is what some of you need to recommit yourself to today. For we are his workmanship. The word workmanship is the Greek word poema. The English word poem comes from this. So this is the idea of God uniquely crafted you. It started with when you were in the womb. He uniquely crafted you to be who you are. You are his workmanship. This is a recreation created in Jesus Christ for good works. Please listen carefully to me. When you came to faith in Jesus, God forgave you all your sins. And today, if you come to faith in Jesus, he forgives you everything you've done wrong to him everything. He cleanses you. He moves it all. But it's so much more than that. He now changes your identity to be his child, his work, his workmanship, 
recreated in Christ Jesus, just like he made us in the beginning of our mother's womb, he now recreates us in Christ Jesus for good works. What is your purpose when you wake up every day, according to this? To glorify God by good works. See, you're not saved by good works. Say that with me. I'm not saved by good works. I'm not saved by good works, but I am saved for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Parents, that's what we are looking to do in our children's lives. Bring them to the place where they understand who they are before God as an image bearer who has sinned against God and turned their back on them, even children. To trust in Jesus alone, to receive that forgiveness, and to receive that new identity that has a new purpose. I'm an instrument a finely made instrument in the hands of God to go out and serve people. That's a good work. And God prepared this before the foundation of the world that we would do this. It's our privilege to step into it. Let me just thank God for this, then we're going to ask parents to come on stage. Father, thank you for our children. Thank you most of all for your child, Jesus. Because of him, we're even gathering today. We thank you for the blessing of our children, whether they are newborns or, or 41 years old. Father, what a joy and privilege it has been. Frustration, struggle, a lot of sometimes regret and guilt. But Lord, we thank you for the privilege. And so today, Father, we ask for, open our hearts and minds to the truth we just read from your scripture about who we are and what you've called us to do and be. These things we ask in Christ's name, amen.